exciting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is big. This is Bashcast, episode number... One, eight, one. It is the 11th minute of the 11th hour on Thursday, the 11th day of the 11th month, 2021. In this morning's Bashcast, we look at an absolute farce on the other side of the big pond with the World Sports Betting Championships at DraftKings and the mess that they got into there. Look at it, taking advantage on the exchange. Some markets, some edges during England Andorra and other games that are difficult to price up. And then we have a guest interview. Bookie bashing member McLovin joins the Bashcast to talk about technology and a new way of exploiting coupons. And we talk about his betting history and the money that he's made as well. And uh, something that we do not have this week, why you're a prick doesn't return. Not this week it doesn't, but look, the feedback's been fantastic. Seems to have struck a chord. It will return, just not this week. In the fear of turning into a bit of a Victor Meldrum. All of that and more coming up. today's Bashcast. Had plenty on the possible agenda today, the maybe agenda, couldn't quite get them on. Think about people winning money, because they very rarely want to talk about it, not publicly anyway, and you can understand that, because if you've got an edge, you don't want to publicise your edge, in the fear that the edge may not be an edge anymore, kind of makes sense in a kind of weird way. But um, I do know we were talking in previous weeks about betting at SP. I know my friend who was betting at SP on the horses at Skybet um, started doing a test 
day one, plus £7,050. I think it was plus £7,250, by the by. I mean, that's not common. Day two was uh, minus 350 and today day three is today so i wanted to get him on to talk about this not at the moment maybe in the future it's a little bit early think he's actually restricted at sp already at skybet so it might not be the long-term edge we were looking for but it's a nice little experiment seems to be working for him and then we have the chap uh the anonymous chap although if you're a member of the discord forum you probably know who i'm talking about who um placed a particular lucky 15 on some horses from the um, horse racing tracker lucky 15 that means it's four horses that's the quadruple the trebles the doubles and the single 15 separate each way bets and walked home with a six figure payout i uh unfortunately wasn't a little bit reluctant to come on to the bashcast to talk about it so can't say who can't say where can't say precisely how much. I don't, I don't actually know precisely how much. I just know it's six figures. But good in him. Well done his payday. Um, and hopefully many more in the future. So there you go. People are making the money. Unfortunately, I can't chat to anybody about it. So we'll just crack on with the first segment of this week's Bashcast. <laughs> So we had some fun controversy uh, this week, stateside, courtesy of DraftKings. DraftKings is a lot of fun. Uh, most weeks I've got a couple of DraftKings um, teams in the golf um, using the boogie bashing tracker. So you have to pick six players under a bankroll, uh, 50,000, I think. Um, and uh, the player's cost is uh, directly associated to the probability of them winning the event. But of course, what we have at the Bookie Bashing Trackers, we've got a way of determining steamers. People that smart money come into, drop down in price at the exchange, they rise up an EV on the tracker, generally speaking, right? So the prices of the players at DraftKings are static. And that means if we're betting on the big EV guys on the Bookie Bashing Tracker, then we're generally betting on steamers, people whose probability was a little bit higher a few days ago. And now smart money suggests it's a little bit uh, shorter. So it's a really good way of picking players for DraftKings teams. I've been doing quite well, but there's a certain annoying thing that they have. And that is that you, if you pick a player, say, the day before an event, and then he withdraws, you can't replace him with someone new. You're stuck with him. And he's going to get zero points between the beginning of the event and the end of the event. So immediately, against everyone else that's got six live players, you're 16% behind them in terms of equity. So the trick here is to pick your players right at the last minute to make sure that nobody has withdrawn. And high-profile people seem to be withdrawing all the time. This week it was Paul Casey, who was the second favourite over in the Dubai Championship. We had Horsefield last week. And when people fill up on these guys who are favourites in their team, you can pretty much blindly back the other five play, uh, um, six, six players of your team, you could blindly back them and you would have an edge on them. I mean, okay, you're betting the steamers, you're trying to introduce some skill into this game, but there's a lot of luck as well. How much luck? I know nothing about NASCAR, and for reasons that aren't important, <laughs> other than I'd maybe had a drink and I was bored... I entered a 10 cent winner takes all 245 person um, tournament uh, for NASCAR. 
And I know nothing about NASCAR, so I went in and I literally just picked six players at random. I mean, I filled up my... I filled up... I didn't, like, just pick six really bad players. You try and spend your entire um, bankroll because then you're not losing equity when, you know, the last player, if you can spend... If, if you can get someone that's more expensive, then generally he's going to be a lower probability of winning or a better probability of winning. You know what I mean? So you're going to be good. So do that. Don't just pick six at random. Try and spend the bankroll. So I did. Not only did I come first, I beat second by about 20% in terms of the points I was getting. And that was picking at random. And I'm, I'm presuming everybody else in the field knew something about NASCAR. I couldn't name you one NASCAR competitor. So there's a lot of luck involved in these things. Solid brag there. $25 for me, by the way. Um, so you, I, I, if you can pick your teams late and then other people have got somebody that's withdrawn, then you have an immediate edge. If you add, add in the steamer element, I think it's pretty decent ed, um, edge on the golf. Just try and avoid the shops. People like um, Samarek. And anyone that's like... Always entering $5,000 championships probably knows what they're doing, right? So maybe avoid those guys. Anyway, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun, a little bit of excess, success on the DraftKings. Over in America, fantasy sports has been a staple for how people bet when um, sports betting is illegal. But sports betting has been opening up in America. So DraftKings, they have a sports book. And some genius... Back, this isn't new. So they did this back in 2019. It was a disaster then. It's a disaster again. Some genius has come up with the idea of the sports betting national championship. And it seems like this construct is kind of the same as a um, multi-table poker tournament. So you have an entry fee. And this is a sports betting tournament. And you have to place your sports bets at DraftKings. Um, only available to people from Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, TN. Anybody? TN? Uh, TN? Uh, Wyoming, West Virginia, and TN. I can't think of Tennessee, of course. Um, so only open to people from there. And the... Um, the construct is that you enter in with $10,000 of your own money. $4,500 goes into a, uh, if you like, um, a pool from which prizes will be paid. $500 is the rake for DraftKings, which isn't unusual for these things, 5% rake. And $5,000 is yours to bet with. And what you have to do is you have to place sports bets against the odds or the house, against DraftKings, and whoever ends up with the most amount of money at the end of a particular period of time, um, this year it was um, between the 7th of November and the 9th of November, so in that 48-hour period, um, whoever ends up with the most amount of money uh, in their bankroll will win, and first place, I think, was a million dollars, something like that, second place, whatever, half a million dollars, um, all the way down to drink. All the way down to drink. So that's the construct. It sounds fairly simple. I mean, if, if, if you're used to poker tournaments um, or even DraftKings fantasy sports tournaments, this kind of thing makes sense. A buy-in, um, a way of ranking people against each other and a payout based on where you finish on a leaderboard after a particular period of time. They had um, a guarantee on it. Now, guarantees are a good way of 
going and looking for equity amongst you know different ways of advantage play whether it's in a casino where they might have a slot tournament where you're playing negative EV, EV slots games but you're on a leaderboard against other people and the house might have um, a payout and they might guarantee a payout hoping to get a minimum number of people to cover the guarantee if they do not get a minimum number of people to cover the guarantee all of a sudden your equity starts to grow and I'll, there is a line in which you go from negative EV games to positive EV because of the guarantee or the overlay as it is because the house is now putting money in. You see, if there's 100 people in a tournament and you're a bad poker player and they'll say it's $10 to buy in and we'll guarantee $1,000, there's no overlay. 100 people have put the $10 in, they've met their guarantee and you're a bad player. So you've got a negative equity um uh, tournament there to go and play where in the long run you're going to go bust you're going to lose money but now let's say you're a bad poker player but only 10 people turn up for a ten dollar entry and there's a thousand dollars guaranteed well the now what happens is there's a hundred dollars in there from the players you've put in the same ten dollars and you're the same bad poker player and you've still got people who are better than you around you however the house now has put in nine hundred dollars right so the number of people you have to outlast, whether by skill or by luck, has shortened considerably. And because of this, you now have an edge. You're positive EV in that tournament, despite the fact that you're a bad player. Um, so guarantees can be good. Overlays, if you can go and search them out, there are people that professionally go around the place and they search for overlays in casino slot promotions, poker tournaments, things like that. So what DraftKings are hoping is that they're going to have a 2 million guaranteed tournament playing for 1 million top price. So with $10,000 entry, but only 5,000 or 4,500, but let's just round it up to make it easy. With only $5,000 going into the pool, they're hoping for 400 people to enter this to break even. So they're hoping for 400 people are going to sit down with $10,000 and they're going to start betting on sports between, it was actually November the 5th to November 7th, just to be exact. And you can only bet on certain things. You've got your $5,000 bankroll and you can only bet on NFL, um, college football and NBA, right? So that's all, that's all you're allowed to bet on. So sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Um, uh, and it's the tournament started on the 5th of November and was, well, can we see what's about to happen here? It's a sports betting championship. Think about this. The people, the players who are going to have the highest ROI, the best return against the sports book are going to be the ones who are going to be rewarded, except what sports books do when you are a successful sports better that's right i don't think i need to spell it out to tell you the truth couldn't they not see this coming a mile off an absolute mile off okay so um it was very early on that some people started tweeting that there were issues. Now, these guys, incidentally, they've taken $10,000. They've given $500 straight to DraftKings just to administrate this tournament. Uh, they put $5,000 into a, um, a pool, and they're playing with $5,000 of their own money. That's quite a significant investment. 
Um, Jerry Dash Shoebox first tweeted um, at DK Assist at DK Sportsbook. I cannot make a bet for this contest at 10:58 p.m. on November the 5th. I mean, that's just hours after it started, and he has tried to bet um, over 50.5 on Virginia Tech versus Boston College. Um, and he's got $1 in the bet slip, and uh, there's a little warning sign in his screenshot from DraftKings that says, action required, limit exceeded, your bets cannot be placed, um, and has either been is either waiting approval or has been rejected. Uh, and they kept on coming about the unfairness of the contest. Spanky says, um, uh, they are, T-H-E-I-R, I mean, this guy's, this guy's bought in for ten thousand dollars into a sports betting tournament, and he's, he's he writes the T H E I R. If there's any more thing more indicative about the state of the U S. economy, oh, that's unbelievable. They're severely limiting and profiling certain customers, and it has crossed over to the to the contest. Now the world can see firsthand just how many people are limited by DraftKings. Abnormally dist says. Um, Hi, DK Assist. I'm in the Sports Betting Championship, but all my bet limits are $25. Others have limits of $1,000 on the same bet. So here we have a contest where you put your money into a prize pool, but if you're quite successful, even over a few bets on the same day, you're going to be limited to $25. Whereas other people who have put money into the prize pool can bet $1,000 on exactly the same thing. DraftKings are doing what every single bookmaker does, and they're not doing it manually. They will have an algorithm in place that is looking at the size of your bets, that is looking at how much money you're making, that is probably looking at the odds against the closing line, is probably probably looking against your odds against the top price at any particular moment in time. And that algorithm is saying, you are pretty sharp. I mean, if you're playing... In a sports betting championship where you've invested $10,000 of your own money, you're probably not going to be recreational. You're probably going to be sharp. And so this now becomes a game of who can be restricted last is probably going to win the tournament. Uh, Now, let's give them some credit. Um, On Saturday morning, DraftKings Sportsbooks director Johnny Avello went on a television network, VSIN, to discuss the situation. And I think, obviously, they saw that they couldn't... They'd made a serious mistake here. I mean, the whole concept of um, people being restricted in this tournament was so unfair, it could be a nightmare for him. And, okay, he obviously... And this is kind of amazing, because he's the sportsbook director. He didn't have it within him to unrestrict these guys or wind the clock back or say, right, let's start from today and we won't limit you guys. I mean, you'd think that would be the fair thing, especially in a sports betting championship. It's trying to sort of determine who's the best or luckiest sports better in the entire world. But no, they don't do that. What he says uh, was, last night we kicked off the contest and unfortunately there were some betting markets that were affected. He doesn't, I love the way that they, they, they don't say customers that were affected, it's the betting markets. And contestants were unable to place their bets and this was inconsistent for all the users. Uh, what we have decided to do is to make our customers whole. If you went bust last night and you're out of money, you're out of the contest. However... If you've still got some money left in, um, uh, let's say you've lost $2,000 
um, we'll give you your money back and we'll top you back up to $10,000. So if you've lost a little bit of money, you get your $10,000 back. If you've made a little bit of money, you can keep all of the winnings and then they're just going to sort of freeze the tournament early. So it was going to be 6 p.m. on the Saturday instead of the Sunday that it was going to finish. Uh, so they, they kind of did okay there. They, they, you know, they were like, if you busted, you busted. You weren't going to make any money anyway. Um, for everyone else, you can have your $10,000 back. You're not going to be out of pocket. Um, uh, if you made some money, that's your money to keep. Uh, and they still paid out the top prize of a million dollars, which went to um, somebody called TUS0323. Love the username there. Very clever. Um, who I saw, I was looking at what he would what he bet on he had a multiple jackson jaguars plus 14.5 um the bills game under 49 and the denver broncos plus 6.5 in the first half so that's like a three-way um uh like a treble on those three nfl things um and he put twenty four thousand nine hundred dollars of real money which he could have walked away um onto this and the treble was a little bit over five to one he returned $145,000 in profit on this one bet, um, running his bankroll up from $5,000 to $169,000. So uh, what did that say about how you win? Well, I mean, all he did there was turn, put $25,000 on a 5 to 1 shot and it came in. Technically, he could have just put $5,000 on a uh, 30 to 1 horse uh, and if that had won, uh, just stopped there and he would have beaten everybody else. You've got to ask yourself how much skill is involved in that process, <laughs> right? I mean, surely you could almost um, buy, uh, go into the tournament and just put a single bet on uh, if, if you can get $5,000 down um, at you know 30 to 1 and just forget about all the rest of the championship um especially in fact since due to the overlay uh sorry due to the refunding and all the issues someone's done some maths and i ha i had the math somewhere now i've lost it where's the maths gone um here we go by my estimation uh this is um captain jack andrews don't know if he's a real captain hopefully he is DraftKings lost $4,728,773 on the Sports Betting National Championship. Now, that's not just overlay, but it is a little bit of overlay. Um, that's because they needed 400 people. That's my alarm to tell me to pick up my daughter from school, except not today. They needed 400 people, and they only got 215. So for starters, you've got, like, um, if you're neutral in the field... All of a sudden, you got two hundred percent EV roughly because um, that's a huge overlay. They they've they've missed the guarantee by about half there. But on top of that, they're refunding loads of people ten thousand dollars and allowing people to keep what they won who didn't finish in the leaderboard positions. Um, so with two hundred and fifteen people, um, with a four million seven hundred twenty-eight thousand seven hundred seventy-three deficit for DraftKings, that meant that. With no skill on the sports betting side, I don't know what your edge is, but maybe it's 10% one way or 10% the other way. But with no skill whatsoever, your equity in that tournament is $21,994.29. If you're just a break-even sports better, that is your EV. You know, you bought in for 10000 
and your immediate equity, not that you would know it yet because you wouldn't be able to see it coming, but your immediate equity is $1,994.29. That's quite a lot of money for doing nothing. But you couldn't have predicted it. Or could you have predicted it? Well, this is not the first uh, attempt DraftKings have had at um, an online world championship of sports betting. They did it in 2019. And what happened in 2019? It was a complete disaster then as well. There were 260 people that played. There was a 1.2 million overlay then, so a little bit less than, well, three times then, less um, this year. And there were issues with games being bet on that weren't allowed to be bet, bet on. There were issues with um, uh, um, restrictions then as well. So it's almost like if you'd seen what had happened in 2019 and saw the overlay as a neutral EV sports better, you don't even have to have any skill. You could have bought into this year hoping that they would have been marred in issues and controversy, and you were, and you would have made a little bit of money. Now, this isn't open to people in the UK. As I said, this is only open to the 10 or so, um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 states uh, in America that... Um, you know, don't prohibit this kind of tournament. But as sports betting is growing and opening up in America, um, that guarantee, I mean, there couldn't have been one last year because nothing was happening. There were no sports on because of uh, lockdowns. So that's doubled in the two tournaments that there's been. And I would imagine next year it's going to be huge. If you can somehow find a way of entering this tournament by knowing somebody in one of the states in um, November 2022... My money would be on that it's going to be a hat-trick of cock-ups from DraftKings and anyone that gets into that tournament early um, is going to have some serious equity on their side. And if you get in, just bung your five grand on a 30-to-1 horse and then sit back and go and do something else and see what happens. Maybe it'll win and you'll walk away with a million dollars plus 150000 for it winning. Maybe it'll lose and you'll get refunded anyway because DraftKings have restricted and limited all of their players. The only thing you've got to think is, what are they doing? What are DraftKings doing here? You know, somebody's not talking to somebody else, which isn't the rarest thing to happen in the bookmaking world. Do you know what I mean? Good on them for trying something like this, but can they not just try it? You can imagine William Hill doing something similar here, exactly the same thing. Can they not, can they not just try this? And just for a two-day window, just for two days... Stop restricting winners. That's all you have to do. You can you can go back to restricting winners after the World Sports Betting Championship if you want to, but just for these two days? Wouldn't that make sense? Farcical. What an absolute joke. We had a fun game a month ago. It was Andorra, England. Fun fact, ever bring up Andorra with Duncan, he'll tell you about the glory days of when he played hockey there. I think he got he scored like 15 goals and got man of the match and um, crowned king. But yeah, he's uh, Basher Duncan's played sports at the Andorra National Stadium. No idea um, how big that is. Don't imagine it's too big. Um, down in the south of France, the mountain region of Andorra. Always very tricky to model these games and to estimate prices. I mean, one of the things I always try and do, and we try and do ourselves, is use information that's out there, but really kind of try and generate fair prices for a lot of markets ourselves. That's how we get an edge, right? Don't just rely completely on lay prices or top prices because, well, 
um, they might be wrong. If it's the top price, we might want to take it. And the lay price, very often, there's a lot of bias issues on the exchange. So that we try and do this through the Game Center. It's a model that I have that I make available and public to everybody. And the Game Center uh, uh, is a hybrid model. We use XG that we have for every single game. And we split that into home and away. We get the XG from the over 2.5 price and we come up with the ways of figuring out the over 2.5 price. There's 101 different ways of doing it. So we split the XG. So we know the XG for Andorra and we know the XG for England. We bring in more information, perhaps from the spreads, to help calibrate and tighten that just in case something's off somewhere. So loads of information comes in. And as a result, we can then build a correct score market. Uh, we use the XG... We use Poisson. We build up from nil-nil to 20-20 for both teams. And then the very last thing we have to do in that market is we have to apply bias for nil-nil because straight Poisson does not account for under-disposition and over-disposition in the probability curve for correct score lines. You know, tight games tend to be more likely to be more tight. The longer it goes on nil-nil, the more likely it'll finish nil-nil kind of a thing. Open games tend to be more open by the time it's 5-2 it might as well be 6-2 kind of a thing right so this is how the market works uh, the model works the game center works it's a hybrid model it uses both in-house xg lines and then it tracks the exchange for fair prices and calibrates and adjusts as money comes in over there and so we got a powerful model but it still throws up difficulties the middle 99 percentile of games are fine where we tend to have issues are twofold. Firstly, if the exchange is doing weird things, we'll end up doing weird things. And often, some people will come in and start taking bonkers prices on the correct score market. You know, So you look at nil one and it trades at 400, the next minute at 50, the next minute at 300. And you're trying to make an assessment of what's going on there. Um, and that's really hard because if people are coming in and taking bad prices and someone between 50 and 400 has taken a bad price, whether it be at the 400 or the 50, one, you know what I mean? Someone's taken a bad price. Um, uh, and it's very difficult to know which one it is that's bad. And occasionally those things can come in and mess with us a little bit. And the second thing is the massive favorite and massive underdog because we split our home and away XG by looking backwards at historical games. And we had a massive data set of them. Um, but what we don't have a massive data set of is where teams are 200 to 1. Because these are very rare games. They don't happen in leagues. They very rarely happen in cups. You know, you might get the one-off Liverpool versus a non-league team. But a lot of these international qualifiers for the World Cups are featuring games which only happen once every 200 times in terms of the split between home and away. And so any historical regression is really difficult to use in these games. So Andorra play England, and this is one of these games. And another thing is when there's very, very low XG for a team, it's extremely difficult to estimate with any accuracy the probability of that team scoring. You know, if the team's going to have less than, get, get less than one goal every five games, we're getting into Black Swan territory. Not, well, I mean, Black Swan's a little bit more Leicester to win the Premiership kind of odds, but you know what I mean. It's, it's, it, people have difficulty with it. How do we know people have difficulty with it? Twofold. One, have a look at the range of prices um, on the bookmakers. 
they can't agree within themselves exactly what the prices of various things should be. And then secondly, have a look at the trading graphs on the exchange. You'd think Andorra versus England. If this was a premiership game, go and have a look at BTTS or over 2.5 or 1x2 odds. And unless there's a steamer because there's information coming in, everything's quite you know, linear, whether it's a straight line across or a straight line at an angle, it's linear. Nothing's jumping around. But in games like Andorra versus England, if you know what you're doing, it's a trader's dream. The question is, do we know what we're doing? <laughs> it's very difficult to answer. In this particular game, at 8 o'clock in the morning, um, BTTS was 4.9 on uh, our game centre. 4.9. And on the exchange, it was 7. And rightfully so... Some people were saying, that can't be right. I mean, I would be suspicious about it. My position, having looked at the modeling, was that the exchange looks high. It looks very high. 7.0 looks very high for both teams to score in this game. I have the chances of Andorra scoring a lot lower, down at 4.9. And the thing was, it was trading up a 6, 7, 6, 6. 6.8. Um, it's quite difficult to say, well, I believe all of those trades are wrong because sometimes we're tr trusting the exchange and sometimes we're not. And in this circumstance, BTTS, normally a market where you would trust it because it's quite a primary market, but I just couldn't get seven from anywhere. Another thing that was weird was the match odds on both teams to score market. England to win and both teams to score 6.4. You could have arbed seven on BTTS and laid 6.4 on England and BTTS. And if it's a score draw or um, or Andorra win and both teams score, then you return, you win both bets. You, your lay of England to win and BTTS will win because that's a loser. And BTTS will win because you've backed that and that's a winner. So both will win. And you're on the exchange. You're arbing the exchange against itself for infinite pounds or as much liquidity as there was, as there was hundreds at that time. What's going on there? Again, my position... We had England to win and BTTS down at 5.1. That was BTTS 4.9 and England to win and BTTS 5.1. 4.9 and 5.1, that's almost the same price. What we're saying is that if both teams score, England will win and both teams score the vast majority of the time. There are very, very few outcomes where both teams score and England don't win. Those score draws, those uh, Andorra to win and both teams to score, they're so rare that basically it's almost the same price. It's almost the same price both teams to score and England to win and both teams to score. Just a very fractionally different, that minuscule probability that it's a score draw or Andorra win and both teams to score. So that's our position. And at least we're the right way around there. We're, we're a lower price for BTTS, as you should be, because there are fewer outcomes, there are fewer correct scores for BTTS. And the exchange is doing mad things. In two different markets, it's doing mad things. In BTTS, it's going between 6 and 7, and I just couldn't get it that high. And it match odds in both teams scoring England to win in both teams' stores down at 6.4, but I still thought that that was high. But why is it lower than BTTS? Well, the match odds in BTTS we know is a biased market. It's, there's, almost all of the money that is in there is from boosts around them, um, from bookmakers and people laying it off. So it's almost like you can't trust it at all. That's why we exploit that market so much. Um... The BTTS was a lot harder to explain. It should be a primary market, but it was swinging between six and seven. Uh, at eight o'clock in the morning, 
there were some boosts of England to win and both teams to score up at 9-2. to two, And we were down at 5.1. We were saying it was good. And rightfully, there were some comments going, well, what are you, why are you saying this is good? Because BTTS is 7. If that's a higher price, surely England to win and BTTS boosted to 9-2 to two can't be a good... And that was, that's a very fair point, you know? If we're saying that the England to win and BTTS is good at 5.5, then 7 has to be amazing. Um... It was really confusing for everyone, including myself, because I, I have to defend this and numbers just look weird on the page. And I think the easier thing to say always is, I saw someone say a comment, my model is better than Betfair, which is a ridiculous comment. What you can say is that my model is, has an ROI, a positive ROI against Betfair over certain conditions, right? That's what you can say. But you can't just say it's better than Betfair. And so in here, what I'm trying to say is that, look, we've calculated this independently, and I believe that both of these markets at Betfair, under these conditions, are wrong and are actually good prices to take on the exchange. You know, back both of these, firstly due to bias in the match odds on both of these, and then secondly due to difficulties in modelling a low XG as Andorra had in this game. I think it was down at 0.2, 0.25, something like that. They were 200 to 1 on the exchange to actually win the match. Uh, some comments, and by the way, none of these comments I judge, because I think if I'm on the receiving end of this model, I have the most amount of confidence in it because I work the mathematics that underpin the engine, right? I got the framework and I understand the framework and I know everything. So I have a little bit more confidence. If I'm using somebody else's model, this is the exact moment where I probably read one of these comments, which was um, England and win and BTTS cannot be right. Someone else, ignore the England game. Someone else, Bet Builder Game Center doesn't work for games like that. And someone else, it makes zero sense putting England and both teams to score up as value at 5.5 when BTTS can be backed on the exchange at 7. I mean, all of those things are completely valid. And I would be saying the same things. Um, so this game was a big issue. And I tracked it during the day. And I kind of wished it was going to go away. Because whilst I ascertain that I stand by my modelling, when the exchange is doing mad stuff, um, it's very difficult to point to anything to suggest that the modelling is okay. But what you can do, and what we are doing, and we're doing this for Shots on Target as well, so we'll come to Shots on Target in a bit. But we are monitoring the closing lines for games like this very closely. Because the closing lines is when all the money and the smart money has come in, now, in terms of BTTS, what we have to monitor is the over 2.5 price, make sure that doesn't steam. If that does steam, the BTTS price is going to come down as well because there's going to be more goals in the game. And also the 1x2, if there's a drift or a steam in there, then things are going to happen in the match odds from both teams to score. Market that are not just smart money and efficient closing lines, but also differences of opinion and who actually is going to have more goals in the game. But um, England's price didn't change. I mean, it was down at 1.02... Um, for the entire game anyway, right? Um, uh, so it's not like it had anywhere it could go. Um, and Andorra were up at 200 and they just bounced between 200 and 250, which, you know, it's, it's not that big in terms of probability. So um, England stayed at 1.02. Andorra stayed at 200 to 250. The 02.5 price didn't change. So nothing should have changed fundamentally in terms of uh, both teams to score and in terms of the match odds of both teams to score market. And what happened... At kickoff, we determined fair odds, 
through some logic of looking at the back price, the lay price, the gap, the last price match, and some logic around that. And it's most efficient at starting price, at kickoff. And at 19.45, BTTS had converged all the way down from 8.0 and 7.0. 8.0 at maximum, by the way, 7.0, 6.0, down to, well, exactly 4.9. And England to win and BTTS had converged from a high of 7.8 all the way down to 5.1. Both prices, fair prices at kickoff, were exactly the same as what we had in the game centre. There was quite a lot of relief when that happened, for me, because had they remained up at 7 or 8, we would have had to have put our hands up and said, there's a fundamental issue with games such as this and conditions such as this. Can you not go on mute? I thought I'd muted you twice. There you go. Also, had you taken BTTS at 6 and 7 and 8, now I have to admit, I jumped in, but I only jumped in at 6.6. Um... You were looking at somewhere in the region of, I don't know, 163% EV at the, at, at the highest. Take away a little bit of um, commission from that if necessary, but still 163%, which is okay. And again, you could have taken 6.4 on the exchange and 5.1 was the closing price for England to win and for both teams to score. Of course, it had to be that Andorra had, had hardly any chances in this game. It finished them, Andorra nil, England 5 um, England with 19 attempts on goal, Andorra with two. Um, England with eight shots on target, Andorra with zero. So it does it does look like Andorra, you know, perhaps even over five games aren't going to get a single goal. I, even from that, from just from that alone, it's so difficult to ascertain what Andorra's xG should be from this game. You know, I, I don't think I watched it, but I the, those two goal attempts were likely, you know, shots from miles outside the box that didn't have a chance. We've got um, the same sort of setup coming up this weekend with Albania versus England, and then we've got San Marino versus England next Tuesday. And after that, that's the end of the World Cup qualifiers, and that's probably the end now of these 200-1 to 1 underdogs against 1.01, 1.02 favourites. It doesn't mean that we can't trade them for a little bit of profit or we can't get some value on there. I mean, despite the fact that I got 6.6 .6 and it went off at 5.1, they say always beat the closing line. Still at this moment, I'm happy to have beaten the closing line, but I'm looking statistically at this that game, and I'm just wondering how often Andorra are scoring a goal. It just doesn't feel... It really intuitively does not feel like 6.6 .6 is high enough. But reverting back to the mathematics, at least we're getting 163% over the closing line. Some say that that's all you need to do. I'm not entirely convinced. I think there's a little bit more with these rare events. So we've got Andorra tomorrow. Andorra's correct score market, um, not Andorra, Albania. England-Albania's correct score market's all over the place. If you take the three liquid correct score trading prices between 1-0, 2-0 and 2-1 and add them all up, you get 19.1 for Albania. And Albania have been a very steady 38 or 40 in the 1x2 market. So already we've got a completely inefficient correct score market sitting on the exchange. That doesn't mean it's... It means it's exploitable. If you're on there taking prices that you know are right, then that's good news for you. The, the, the problem we have is when we're taking information from that correct score market, it can make it a little bit tricky for us. We have to try and identify some logic that can ignore these inefficient, iffy trades that are going on in the exchange. Um, 
And so every time we see them, at least we can improve the model. But I mean, what are we doing? Improving a model for one in 200 games. It just happens to be that there's these one in 200 percentile games twice in the next four days for England, England versus Albania and England versus um, San Marino. So I look forward to trying to take advantage of them. But as with everything, the picture is really difficult to paint. I think it's really difficult to paint for everybody. And so it's a case of kind of using a bit of nuance, using a bit of judgment and things like that, and um, coming up with um, sort of painting a picture, an incomplete picture, but that is good enough for us and has enough of an edge applied to it. With the um, shots on target, we've always had a, a model where we trust any bookmaker that applies an over and an under price for shots on target. And... Um, uh, Bet365 do this we're, we're adding in Unibet we've had um, BetSafe before before they stopped offering the under and the theory here being that anyone can offer an overprice but when you offer an over and an under it does get shaped in at least um, and we can take some over and some bias if we want but we choose not to I think in a lot of these markets where the prices are about even and there's an over and under as many people are betting on the under as the over I don't necessarily think any biases applied in either direction and maybe i'm right and maybe i'm wrong you know there's no way of definitively proving that there's not enough stats out there and data out there to prove it one way or another unless you really want to go down the route of pricing up shots on target yourself which would be a pretty tricky exercise i would imagine so we take that uh, and we calculate what we think you know reverse plus on a fair expected shots on target is. Well, now, guess what they're doing? They're putting shots on target market up on the exchange. And everyone in these shots on targets are going to be completely throwing darts, a lot of bias, a lot of boost, a lot of things going on. And um, there's definitely an element of this is a market that we can take advantage of using, you know, any estimation of shots on target. So I've started gathering some data. It's going to be a really long exercise to gather enough data because you might get three markets in a single game, but they might be all, all related. It might be Saka to get one, Saka to get two, Saka to get three. And of course, if Saka does get three, then somebody else hasn't had possession of the ball and so on and so forth. Only a finite number of shots on target, target in the game. But we'll collect this over time. And um, it's another one of these markets. Also, it's because it's not that liquid. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that it means that loads of people can't pile in, which means that we can't really highlight it that much because we kill the edge ourselves by introducing more players into it. But these exchange markets, again, th there's enough recreational money in them. We're seeing, especially in these weird games such as England versus Andorra and the shots and target markets, that um, you know they're very exploitable. And there's definitely an edge to be had. This part of the Bashcast, I'm going to have another conversation about coupons. I'm aware quite a lot of the time I'm sort of jumping in and out of the world of coupons, kind of with the same stories. I mean, how much can I talk about? They're a staple that happen every single week, something we've been doing for years. Um, the concept of the coupons tracker very quickly is that um, we take the football coupons that they have in the physical shops, in the Betfreds, in the William Hills, so on and so forth. We upload a few of them into the coupons tracker at Bookie Bashing, and then we monitor them for steams and go out and place trebles or different kinds of multiples on the steamers compounding the value. And just in the background, it follows the same pattern. It's kind of break even, lose a bit, break even, lose a bit, big win. 
And a lot of the time when it's break even and losing a bit, there's not a lot to talk about. Of course, it's fun to talk about the big wins, but that's the element. And it's been in positive ROI in the, in the long run since we've been started at bookie bashing. But um, definitely a sort of volatile, a high volatile game to play that can be long losing runs and long stretches. So the coupons tracker, it sits in the background. Um, now, we've had a little bit of an issue with the coupons tracker up until recently. Uh, and that is that um, it's been very um, data, in, um, sort of manual data entry intensive. It requires a lot of resource to keep running and keep um, keep live. And we couldn't really explore any new avenues as a result of this. Well, recently, a few months ago, uh, a guy, a member at Bookie Bashing, uh, who goes by the name McLovin, off of the brilliant um, uh, Superbad film, I think, um, he approached us with a potential solution to enable us to really seriously improve the way that we've been processing coupons. And we've been doing it exactly the same way for years. So um, uh, I want to introduce to, onto the Bashcast at this moment in time, McLovin. How are you doing, McLovin? I am loving. I'm very good, thanks. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Not so, um, yeah, I just thought we could chat about wh- wh- how the ideas that you had and the progress that we made so far. But before we get into any of that, give me a little bit of um, history of you, um, uh, your betting, what you've been doing on coupons, things like that, and um, you know how you actually got the part in Superbad in the first place. <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been bookie bashing now for what are we 2021 so it's probably coming up for six years um been a member of bookiebashing.net for most of those um in a bit of a syndicate um got some mates and i go around and uh hit the shops occasionally um reasonably successful i think you'd say between us we are about a quarter of a million up which isn't bad um you know i think over how long a period of time Oh, I forgot exactly when we started. I think it must have been about 2017, 2016, 2017, something like that. Um, And it's, you know, it comes and goes. I used to love the Bet365 two-up offers. And I I think I posted a bit on the the bookie bashing forums when the Duchess came in for some of those. But, uh, you know, that's died away. You've made the point on the Bashcast before that things... You can't hang on to things too much. So at the moment, it's shop coupons, Lucky 15s, a bit of golf... Uh, that all that sort of jazz. Yeah, it's the weird one is that you can you can never hold on to something and think, well, this is what I'm going to be doing forever because no. sooner or later other people will know about it if it's valuable enough. I know two ups great, but I just don't have infinite bet three six five accounts, so I haven't done two up in ages. No. Coupons are a weird one because I think they're just difficult logistically. They require a lot of work, and so we've been doing them for years, and we still continue to do them today. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I mean that they they are. There's the issue. I think is there's a lot of data in there because you've got these, uh, especially with William Hill, they try and cram as many many characters on their coupon as possible. Um, but there is a lot of information there, and the challenge I think for us is finding that challenge for you primarily is finding that uh, that value and getting that data into a form where you can actually analyze it. Yeah, but okay. So before we come to the sort of the specifics of what we what, what we can do to sort of um, improve things, um, you were talking about you know your syndicate. Um, it sounds like you made a decent 
allowed a, a, a amount of money. Is that all coupons? I mean, a little bit was two up and everything like that. Is, is coupons a big part of your betting portfolio? Yeah, it's a reasonable at the moment, reasonable amount at the moment. I mean, it's uh, Saturday mornings. Uh, I've had to convince the wife that uh, I don't get to take the kids to football practice. So I have to go down the shops. And it's it's a bit of, I, I find it quite fun, actually. You know, you go into these shops, you act as a sort of almost um, James Bond type feeling. I, we had a chat in our group about whether we should call people in the field agents or operatives. And I think we settled on agents. And it sort of has this uh, 007 implication behind it and it, I, I, I most enjoy it when I sort of get my head in and I feel like I'm an agent and I might as well be wearing a tuxedo and I went in there one went in there a couple of weeks ago after seeing whatever the film Doctor No Time to Die and other daylights and felt the part you know it was there like I'm, I'm you know I've got to make nice with the I've got to charm the cashiers I've got to not draw attention to myself but somehow I've got to actually get on my phone get on bookiebashing.net get the data out um find the value put it in the coupon look like every other punter try and blend in and then come out having smashed them for some value so it's it's fun um yeah it's particularly fun when we win the fun thing about it, you've got three types of personalities in the betting shops you've got um the the recreational mug punters um You've got the Arbors who I think stand out like a sore thumb and that they're perhaps the wannabe James Bond um, guys. And then you've got sort of the shops, the people that are betting, but the traders don't understand how they're winning. Um, And the coupon bettors, I think, would fall under that category. What was the name of that film? No Time to Die? No Time to Die, yeah. Did you see it? Have you been to see it? Yes, yeah. I haven't been to see it, but somebody told me what happens at the end. That's very that's very rude of them. It was David Mitchell from Victoria Corin and David Mitchell. He wrote a blog, and I clicked on the link on Twitter, uh, and now I know what happens at the end. I was like, I was, it was pointless. I'm really well, angry that I know. I still haven't seen the film, but I know what happens at the end. I'll tell you something that happens at the beginning, and another spoiler alert: Hugh Dennis from uh, Mock the Week is on there. He was on Mock the Week the other day, and uh, spoiler alert: he's in it. He dies very quickly. Uh, but I'm Hugh not Dennis, the, the stand-up there. comedian from Mock. The, I don't. I, I'm right. I'm not entirely sure. I can believe you there. <laughs> that is, he's a scientist. He he looks a bit. He makes a he makes a joke. He looks a bit uncomfortable. Then he gets shot. That feels like an unlikely casting decision, but. It, yeah, I think I want to see it even more now. Except I want to see the beginning, and I'm going to walk out before the end. Um, <laughs> so you, you, you've done. I, I think I agree with you. That I like the idea that you are. That there's an undercover game of cat and mouse going on, um, where we have to um, bet in the shops. We have to stay under the radar. We'll occasionally get phoned up, and we've um, to the traders, and we've got to sort of stay under the radar to them. So there is an element of that kind of like undercover operative. To yeah. it. And it sounds like you've got um, a fairly decent return on your investment on the coupons. Um, have you spent the money on anything nice? Got yourself, got yourself something I, nice you know with the cash? I, I have spent very little of my cash. I keep saving it up because I keep thinking we're going to do something major to the house or uh, or buy some new cars or something. We haven't quite got to that point. Having said that, I have bought, uh, I have recently, for my wife's birthday, just given her a 
big check and said, go and t- don't, go and decorate the house that you've been asking me to do for ages. And the other thing I did was um, I've got a mate who lives in Hong Kong and he's uh, convinced us to get in on some dodgy investment. So 5,000 uh, US dollars went on him. I don't think I'll ever see that money again, but it seemed like fun at the time. Good. Well, I can't think of anything better to spend the money on uh, than your <laughs> wife and dodgy investments in Hong Kong. So, yeah, here we have um, these coupons, and traditionally we have put up uh, a small handful onto Bookie Bashing. Uh, the Pushers coupon, the Seventh Heaven, Goals Galore, Total Goals. Um, a couple at William Hill, a couple at Betfred, a couple of the Independents, Coral Ladbrokes, Paddy, we sort of ignore because they're either brutal with cuts or there's no value or the limits are terrible. So yeah. um, only half of the bookmakers are targetable. Um when you go into William Hill, Betfred and everything like that, there's a lot going on. There's a, um, um, you're in the shop, you're dealing with cuts, you're dealing with staff members as well. How do you, how do you go about that part of the process? I mean, this is where a bit of, a bit of charm, a bit of uh, understanding comes in. I think you've made the point on this very programme that you, you're going to get a long way with a smile and a bit of chat especially because there's lots of people in there, as you say, the sort of the the arbors and the, uh, people who are a bit unfriendly, a bit grumpy. And you can go a long way with a smile and a, um, a bit of chat. And the occasional tip, I find, goes down well. Um, I, f- I find it's a lot better what, now. Come, what, what's your tipping uh, protocol? Uh, so let's say you've won £1,000 on the coupon, on a coupon. What are you doing? I tend to tip around about 1%. If it's, okay. if it's over five hundred pounds, um, so yeah, if I earn a thousand, if I get a thousand pounds out, then you know you drop this, drop this poor cashier who's probably on minimum wage, and you know would just appreciate a couple of beers out of it. Um, drop him a tenner. It's not, it's not gonna take too much out of your ROI. Um, it makes their day and it gets them on board. You know they will obviously know you. You can't be totally anonymous, but if you can't be anonymous, you want to be, you you'll be welcome. What I know is that um, area managers um, certainly sit down with a lot of um, shop managers and staff, and they encourage them to escalate upwards anybody that is regularly getting big wins. And um, anecdotally, I think I feel like, um, you know, if you're slipping the odd 10 or even a 20 when you have a big collection from them, then those staff might perhaps be a little bit forgetful during those meetings. It certainly can't hurt, especially if it's not hurting your bottom line ROI at all. No, and I think you've got to, that helps. And you've also got to be conscious of where you are because, you know, I've gone into, I went into a Betfred in in a fairly rough part of Blackpool once and tried to get a couple of hundred quid down. And they just looked at me as if I was mm-hmm. from Mars because everyone else in that shop was, you know, betting 20p accumulators, you know, five pound, 10 pound here and there. And here was me trying to get 200 quid down while it was just never going to, never going to float. Um, similarly, I've been, uh, I recommend, um, the uh, the William Hill outside Ascot Racecourse. I can thoroughly recommend that because there it's it's uh, a fairly wealthy part of the world anyway. They're right by the racecourse. They're used to taking big bets, and uh, I've got some decent ones down there. So it's it's tricky. You've got to you've got to know your know your environment and sort of just mm-hmm. um, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be friendly. Um, and yeah, it's a lot better now than it was. Uh, sort of post lockdown when you couldn't you you had to get in and out of the bookmakers in what 15 minutes or something ridiculous yeah and that of course, was a real problem yeah oh, it was a pain and then 
because of that as well, there's no one else in the shop. So you can't sort of hide amongst the crowd. Whereas now you can sort of go in, you wander back and forth, you pick a coupon out, you can sit or sit there on your phone without them sort of staring at you going, why are you on your phone so much? So yeah, life is a bit better these days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always remember going to um, one of the suburbs of Birmingham to a Betfred uh, with about uh, 1,500 quid on me with the purpose of maybe putting on four 300-pound coupons. And it was about 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, and there was an actual tramp asleep across the front door, across the front door of the, the Betfred. So the option was to walk over this guy and into the shop or to go to another shop or go and do something else with my day. And um, uh, I gave him a little um, gave him a little nudge and asked him if he wanted to move, but he was having a big old snooze. So yeah, I took the option of walking over him. It did feel it felt odd. It didn't feel right either. But I, you know, I wasn't the one sleeping in the bloody doorway at eleven o'clock in the morning. Anyway, so with the coupons, um, you got in touch with us a few months ago. Um, uh, why did you do that? Can I ask? Well, you put it on the Bashcast. Um, you we're making reference to the fact that uh, we, there's all this data out there, there's all this, all these coupons, all this potential, but there's an enormous labour cost to to getting those onto the tracker because you've got to you've got to pay someone to sit there typing them up, and there's a lot of data on there. There, there really are an enormous number of lines, an enormous number of prices, and um, uh, it can be quite tedious. And I looked at this. I first looked at this about. Well, it was shortly after our syndicate got going, because I was like, I, you know, I should be able to do some of this stuff myself. Um, and I looked at doing some automatic uh, coupon reading, some optical character recognition. And the problem was at that point, late 2017, the technology wasn't there. It, we could have made it work, but in order to make it work, we would have had to carry around a flatbed scanner and a laptop into betting shops, and they probably wouldn't have liked that or they'd have wondered what was going on yeah so, i have to say we we've looked we did look at it exactly the same thing a few years ago and the issue the blocker that we had was exactly that um we get sent coupons from a number of sources and the majority of the time well no 100 percent of the time it's an iphone taking a cat a picture of a coupon that sat on somebody's lap or if we're lucky like they found a shelf somewhere to put it on and yep. If you scanned it, we could have OCR'd it, but we couldn't take a scanner around in the field. And so what we have done all this time is we have had people going out to shops, collecting specific coupons, and only a small number of them because of what happens next. They send it to us, and then we literally have human beings sit down and type all the odds and all the team names into Excel before importing them. Now, Think about a football coupon. Think about all the different teams and all the different odds and home and draw and away. It takes half an hour per coupon and there could be 10 coupons a week. And all of a sudden, we're now maximizing the output. We couldn't go any further. We couldn't explore any new markets because we're just spending so long physically sitting and typing up coupons and on Excel. And when things go wrong, I remember having to come down a mountain in Morzine, find a bar, um, 
borrow or pay for a computer. I think I borrowed somebody's laptop and p- paid him a couple of drinks, logged on. And in the middle of this bar, I'm literally typing up this pushes coupon because there was nobody else available to do it and it needed to be done by that afternoon. And I was thinking at the time, there has to be a better solution to what we're doing. So OCR yeah. would have been great back then, but it wasn't working. It just didn't work unless we could scan the coupons and we couldn't come up with a solution for that. Exactly. And it, the, uh, the technology has moved on. So when I heard you on on the bash car saying this is what you're going through this is the pain that you're experiencing i thought hang on this this can't be right we're fifth of the way through the 21st century there's got to be something we can do so what i looked at um was was ocr again but with cloud computing now cloud computing is a good buzzword because it's it's all about this mythical computer that happens in the ether it's somewhere in the internet um there's a there's a phrase in in technology which is basically there's no such thing as a cloud. It's ba- it's just someone else's computer. It doesn't matter. The fact that someone else's computer has got the power behind it to go and do something um, intelligent, I thought there's got to be a way around it. So I went off. I had a little play. Um, I tried out some of the cloud OCR solutions that are out there, um, settled on one that seemed to work, and and came back to you and said, hey, Tom, I think we can do something here and i think we can we can i can make your life a little bit better um which yeah at the moment i think you've been playing with the the prototype that i made and it is only a prototype but it's it's like first draft i'm amazed it works and you haven't broken it but somehow you haven't broken it and we seem to have got some some data out of it so now we we have this prototype system in place and what i can do is i can take pretty much Anyone's half decent scan. Still, if the if the coupon's crumpled, it's actually physically going to hide the odds, and that can happen sometimes. Or William Hill have a real issue that the font size they're cramming so many random games onto a coupon that they print three times a week: Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and then they have Sunday only coupons. But not only that, so many random games, and they have bad printers. Like even the human eye with a micro, uh, magnifying glass would struggle to make the difference between a six and an eight in a lot of the fonts that they use. But um, as long as we have half-decent coupons, you've provided something to me where I literally go upload and then within 10 seconds, uh, a table is exported that is ready to go into um, to go into the coupons tracker. Now, how has that happened? Because four years ago, we looked at the OCR and it simply couldn't figure out these tables and we ditched it. What's different in 2021 that we can import it into this piece of code and it knows exactly what the table is and what's going on? Um, I have to say, it, it only works for Betfred just now, but it works so well with for, with Betfred. Um, out of the 50 coupons I've tested on there, only one went wrong. And that, if you looked at the photograph, was because the photograph was at an angle. And I guess the, 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 the technology couldn't figure out what row was aligned with what row but if the coupon isn't at an angle it's perfectly straight it seems to work every time what's changed what's new what have you done how have you done this well the the short answer is uh, another technology buzzword that's going around and that's artificial intelligence two words hyphen whatever artificial intelligence has made this a lot better because in 2017 we had to take a perfectly scanned coupon we had to define exactly where the columns were 
and then let the OCR do its job. And the OCR part would be fine, but setting up a coupon so that it was exactly perfect every time was just a non-starter because even even if you did have a flatbed scanner and we did try taking coupons and putting them on a flatbed scanner, the coupons themselves were not printed exactly the same anyway. So that was not possible. What we, what we found now is that you've got providers um, like Amazon Web Services, uh, Google Cloud, uh, Microsoft Azure, tested out one by a company called Nanobots, I think. And all of these use a degree of artificial artificial intelligence to say, okay, we don't necessarily know exactly where on the image the the table sits, and we don't know exactly where the text lies, but we can can take a look at it and then kind of work it out based on um, the AI... uh, the AI learning, having looked through millions and millions and millions of documents, not necessarily betting coupons, but other documents. So that's the first thing that's made our life a lot easier is we can plug into that. The second thing is we've also worked out a way of getting the coupon so that it is roughly straight. Now, if things are sent in in WhatsApp, then they are just pictures. And as you said, we looked at that coupon, which was just a bit wonky, or it was kind of wonky in one part, because it was on a, it was bent slightly, it was wonky in one part and perfectly straight on another, and the OCR system didn't quite get it. But what we found is we can take something like um, uh, Dobe Do One with an app and uh, Dropbox do it as part of their app, that you can take a scan of a document and it will automatically straighten it. So even if you take it uh, and, and you have this sort of parallelogram um, on your image, you can then get the app to straighten it so it looks like a proper rectangle. And from that point, everything's a lot straighter for the OCR. So first of all, the the image is better. And second of all, the OCR is more intelligent and can get the text out a lot better. Right, I see. So I think what I didn't understand is that the artificial intelligence component of this is actually just essentially straightening and cleaning up the image um, so that it's easier to understand. That's what it's doing. Well, the, the... Yeah, there's some artificial intelligence as part of the uh, the app, which straightens the image, and then the OCR doesn't these days doesn't need the text to be in exactly the same place every time, so it can it can okay. cope with a bit of movement there, um, and that's been that's been a real game changer. And and I've also noticed like even the the return of the um, the team name. So before maybe in 2017. Capital E Everton would be three Everton sometimes because a three a three and a capital E are very similar characters and yeah. it just wasn't clever enough. Whereas now it's so I think it's kind of think, looking at it and going, this is a word I've seen this word before. This word Everton it's it's more likely to be Everton than three Everton. Yeah, um, I, don't I think that's the that's the AI part coming in there because it it, it does it's it's got it understands text. It's looked at, at probably billions of words to yeah. get to the point. Um, you know, pre-trained. I don't have to do any of this stuff, but it's looked at billions of words. As you say, it understands that Everton is more likely than Threverton, and it's it's. Um, I we are using here the AWS, the Amazon Web Services version, because I found that the text was was more reliable. It's even putting umlauts in. It's putting accents in. It's putting that uh, you know line through Scandinavian O's. It's yeah, yeah. It's 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 a lot better and a lot more reliable. Those bloody Scandinavian Bodo slash Glimped have okay, a team yeah. name that has the same forward slash in it as um, the forward slash in fractional odds, which historically 
I just wish that they'd never existed as a team because it's because it that. trips over so many systems. That's that, that messes with me at the moment. I'll find a way around it, but at the moment yeah. it's just like you can't. No, that's a headache. I think we need to choose your team name. It's one or, name or the other. Right, everyone whose surname starts with uh, N afterwards, you play for Glimped. Yeah, <laughs> and then everyone, everyone A to L, you are the Bodos, Bodo United, and the rest of the world will be a lot happier, especially the advantage players. <laughs> there's a there's a cartoon called XKCD, and it's uh, like a comic of maths and computer science and physics and all sorts of science. And there's a one cartoon, Google Bobby Tables, and it's about this this child who his name. Is uh, his his first name is Robert, and his second name is a whole load of dashes and characters which basically delete the database. And of course, when you enter that name into a database of students, he's basically just crashed the the, the database. And that's the same with Bodo Glimp. Just choose your team name. <laughs> Brilliant. So as 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 I mentioned previously, we were looking at approximately half an hour per coupon, which would then limited us in by the, by, by the amount of resource we could throw at this. Now, um, uh, the fastest I've done it is about uh, one minute. And it, to tell you the truth, the OCR part of it takes about 10 seconds and the other 50 seconds are um, getting it actually uploaded into um, the our coupons tracker in the correct format, uh, the, the, the correct sort of um, market. So from 30 minutes down to one minute, what that means is that we have solved our resource issue that we have, and now we can start to put up a lot more coupons and track um, a lot more markets. And this is a really fantastic way of us um, checking for value all around the place because previously we, we knew where there was value. There was value on the Pushers coupon, the Seventh Heaven coupon, and um, a couple of the William Hill and Betfred coupons um, where um, – um, the, the markets were directly hedgeable or calculable, such as match odds on both teams to score, team to win and over 2.5 goals, things like that. But now we can massively upscale the amount that we're looking at. Um, and I fancy doing that. Uh, sorry, drink, ambulance going past. Um, um, whether we ever end up doing Ladbrokes, Coral or Paddy, I don't know because... They could be a gigantic waste of time. I mean, what I know is that they hinge again the 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 markets that are liquid on Betfair exactly to Betfair. When something gets to within two percent, it's just slashed. And I was hoping maybe these secondary markets that don't have a Betfair market would be a little bit better. But it turns out they're just as bad as well. Um, so we may never ever look at that, but we do have the potential to pick up more independents, more Betfred, more William Hill. Look at these secondary markets on mass. And um, yeah, try, model them and try and find value. So it may be the case that whereas we had five, six, seven, eight coupons on the tracker at once in the past, it might now be 10, 20, 30, 40 going forward in the future. The only issue I can see about that for a community such as bookie bashing is the more coupons there are, the the fewer People are concentrated onto the same one, which means the fewer cuts. But there are ways around that, you know, if we're sensible. I don't know if you use um, tester coupons at all. One guy goes into a shop, places a tester coupon in the top 10, and then you you might go into the shop and place, you know, £200 on what has survived the test. Yeah, yeah. Quick 25p, £1 accumulator is money well spent. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is if you can do it, although it, it, it does require a little bit of um, getting together at the same time and logistics. But 
it's not impossible. So, I don't know how well, we did this stuff before WhatsApp and and mobile phones. It's just you know the, the amount of connectivity that we have now. It's it's the only way to do it because if you if you got your mate, you know he could be two miles away, he could be two hundred miles away, and you need to be able to communicate. But it's it's it kind of works. You're right. If you, if you happen to be in the same shop, the same area, um, you can make it work really well. If not, you've just got to plump for it and trust the fact that the prices have steamed and therefore they're good on that basis, even if they're not quite EV anymore. I mean, I remember right back at the beginning, we didn't even have an API from Betfair. We were literally just um, comparing top prices, um, having having a look at what had been cut and what hadn't been cut, uh, and then sending out just like instructions of do these four, do these five. Uh, no, uh, and I think when we were able to put that into a table and then send a JPEG, very <laughs> you know, a static JPEG, not a tracker, just a static JPEG, that felt like a te- technological leap. But this system you've come up with. With, with the character recognition, the machine learning, the way that we can just import a coupon and within 10 seconds we've got the data out of that coupon. It's fantastic. It works really, really well. So thank you very much for approaching us um, with this because, You're welcome. yeah, it's, it's, it's not just it, – it, hopefully it'll be good for you. as well. You know what I mean? We should be able to start churning out and finding loads of value for you. But I do appreciate the, uh, the technology. Well, it's my pleasure. I enjoy this sort of thing. I enjoy this just sort of playing around and finding a technical solution to things. It's it's taught me a, a lot in the month and a half I've been playing with it. Um, and it is, you sort of look at all this data out there, you go into a shop and you see all these coupons and you think there's got to be, it might only be one, 2% of the bets there where there's going to be value, but we should be able to find that. And short of just finding some way to jack in our database and plug it straight into the bookmaker's back ends and for a whole load of reasons that's never going to happen um you know we've got the paperwork we can we can go and do this so it's, it's finding a technical solution to um to to a problem and i think it's i think it's got potential you're right we can we can plug in a whole load of other coupons um the big challenge we have at the moment although there will be i'm going to find a way around it is that we can only at the moment do one table per uh coupon so if you think about the uh, the goals galore and the pushes, that's basically one table. It might be one table across, uh, split into two, but it's still the same table, the same bet, the long list bet. The challenge we have at the moment is for something like the bonus coupon, which includes Seventh Heaven, Home Sweet yeah. Home, um, Away the Lads. Well, I mean, I was playing with it. What, what, what happens actually is um, it just provides uh, a big big single table but one following the other so the first the first tables at the top and then the next tables underneath and actually as a as a user as an admin user that's quite easy just to copy and paste the relevant section out i think um the 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 next major difficulty is going to be something like the match winner coupon where win to nil and win and over 1.5 are next to each other in two completely separate tables you know what i mean yeah that's it the william hill coupon is is going to be a headache when i get to that because you've got the match on the left hand side it might not even have any prices or maybe it does have a price and then you've got two other tables which is hard enough in shop it's in a really small print and unless it's well lit you're there going god does that line up with that and that's i mean that's why william hill put the numbers of the games on their coupon um but you've got to be able to somehow match you can barely read it so you've got to be able to match that up on the left hand side with the bets, the wind nil, the three plus goals uh, on the right. So it's you know it's all doable, but the lowest yeah. hanging fruit, the easiest thing to do was the yeah. the bet thread and the paddies. You got to love William Hill shops. I heard just 
as a by the by, just before the uh, Bashcast started um, today, that um, they've, they've got these, you know, the great sports offers. They replaced them oh, with yeah. um, these new offers, and they, they've seemingly no upper limit. I mean, I've been in and placed two hundred pounds on them and everything like that. And William Hill have done quite well in terms of they've lost for the punter, therefore won by for William Hill. Very recently, just a few have won. Guess what? Limit slashed. Because, yeah. you know, it's all, it's all results orientated for, for William Hill. Which yeah. is exactly yeah. like it was with the, the great sports offers at the beginning. They didn't seem to know what what was going on. They didn't. They, they thought it was all poor value. They were like, yeah, yeah get it in, yeah. get people involved. And, um, you know, uh, myself and uh, we've got another guy on the, uh, on the team who's just works incredibly hard. He's an absolute legend. And he also was doing the same thing in William Hill. Um, and then all of a sudden they just went, nah. And it's like, well, you know, come on. Because there was a, because the losing run will take as much as they want because yeah. the balance sheet's looking good. The minute a few of them are winning, it's like, nah, nah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, either you're, you're, you're limited to peanuts or you're not getting anything down or you're not welcome here. And then the losing run comes again and everyone's happy and there's no stress. Yeah, they're, they're, it's like bankers, isn't it? They, they will give you an umbrella when the sun is shining and take it away when it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, to, to wrap up the, this chat, uh, I have a quiz for you. Uh, there's going to be a 30-second 30 countdown clock coming on. You can choose the topic, though. Uh, the last three guests that have come on have all been given a geography quiz, um, but that could be getting old just now. So I've got a new Olympics quiz um, uh, uh, as an alternative as well. What do you want to go for? Do you want to go for geography or do you want to go for Olympics? Is it, is it European cities beginning with B? Because um, Yes, yes, it is. It, it is exactly. <laughs> it is exactly. I don't have anything else. I've got nothing else. I could say C or D, but I, I don't but you know, know what? No, no, no. You've put in the effort to go with an Olympics quiz and let's go with that. That sounds new and fresh and exciting. Okay, no problem. The Olympics quiz is going to start now. Um, but, uh, 30 seconds from when I stop talking, there are three and only three uh, Olympic past and present sports that you win by exclusively, and the word exclusively is important, by exclusively going backwards. Can you name the three sports? Uh, there's got to be a rowing one. Uh, tug of war. Um Oh, this is good. I've been asking for the specific type of rowing, but yeah, uh, rowing tug of war. Ah, uh, five seconds. Tiddlywinks. Tiddlywinks. That famous, that yeah. very famous Olympic sport. Okay, so you went. You got rowing. Uh, you got tiddlywinks there. You, and yeah. you got tug of war. What was the last time that the tug of war was in the Olympics, please? I'm going to go with 1846. Okay, because there was an Olympics in that year. Possibly. That's the first of the Olympics challenge. Now the second one, we're going to restart the countdown clock. Uh, you have another 30 seconds, and I want three and only three Olympic sports that have a net but do not have a ball. Uh, net, not a ball. So that uh, badminton has got to have one. Um Winter Olympics, ice hockey, that's a puck, it's not a ball. Um, <laughs> and a net. You had Olympic fishing, does that count? I don't know. No. 
Is there fishing in the Olympics? I don't know, I'm not helping. I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit unfair, isn't it? You just put it in the room. Anyway. Three, uh, two. Drag racing. Drag racing, okay. I, I tell you, I'm most yeah. confident about my last guesses every time. <laughs> okay, so that was two. Um, name the three sports Olympics. And out of six, you got a grand total of four correct answers. I'm not Take actually going to tell you which were right and which were wrong. Um, Tiddlywinks could it, have been one of the right it was, ones. It was Tiddlywinks. Um, which I don't, I don't know if you play Tiddlywinks exclusively going backwards. But um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. And perhaps next guest um, has a target of four to beat. But you on the leaderboard, McLovin, Excellent. with four out Loud. of six correct answers. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Pleasure. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the help that you've done with all the OCRs. It's really going to be valuable. And we're going to see a lot of equity and EV going forward. So it's great stuff. Excellent. Glad to help. My pleasure.